Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. This is your co-host, Mike, here. And today, it's just me and Tim in the booth for your introduction. Tim, what's going on? Man, what is going on? We... Josh is in South Africa. Yeah, I'm a little jealous. I, I found that out just yeah. before we started recording. What the heck? Yeah, good you know, for him. He's uh, he's out there for business, but uh, yeah, I think he's spending like two or three weeks out there. So you guys are going to have to deal with intros from just me and Tim for a little bit here. It's that's the type of place where you have you can't just go for a week because of all the the time it takes to get there and the change and everything. Yeah, yeah there's no <laughs> yeah. there's no like quick trip to South Africa. No, not at all. Uh, but. That'll be, uh, I mean, I'm sure he's having fun out there as long as he's not getting chased by any cheetahs or lions or anything mm -hmm. like that. So what else is going on in Columbus right now? Man, I went to my second hockey game. Feels real good to be back. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. We, at work, we just did it. We had a huge milestone at work. Uh, we shipped our first product. Nice. So that's, that that's was, big time. that's been crazy. Um, yeah, man, I've been, I've been slammed, but it's good. We're getting toyed with the weather. So just standard Ohio stuff, you know, yeah. spring one day, winter the next morning. We don't know. Yeah, it we, could be anything. We had to film outside. I'm going to bore Flip everyone. A coin. We Flip had to, a coin. We had to film outside. And for three, four days, it's like summertime. Yep. The morning I needed to film, out, film outside is like 21 degrees. 21 degrees. After yeah. just days of sun. Got a round of golf in. The worst. Outdoors. Yeah. Real outside golf. I almost hit a hole in one. I, I meant to tell Whoa. you. I have a video I've, to prove it. I'm so, six inches from the hole. Dude, that's sick. I, I thought it went in. because we'll I have to see it, the video after it, this. It, it rolled behind the pin. But yeah, anyways. Yeah, that's the, it always, yeah. yeah. And you, I was like, you, did that go I was all excited. The, but the ball disappeared. The ball yeah, disappeared. Yeah, we were both freaking out. But yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, it just felt good to get outside, man. So uh, there's light at the end of the tunnel in multiple ways. You know, we think COVID may be ending soon. God knows. Uh, you know, weather opening up, being able to go outside. There's just like, I feel like I'm getting out of jail from a lot being of optimism. In. Yeah, hopefully. Say. Yeah. So, well, today on the show, we might as well introduce our guest at this point. Probably uh, a good idea. It's uh, Robert Ouellette. And uh, Robert is a partner at Ice Miller LLP. And he is a lawyer. He's involved with a lot of complex corporate transactions, mergers and acquisitions and like the private equity space. And he's, man, he was a really smart guy. Like you could tell just talking to him, he really, really understood what he did. And, and I think that uh, you guys will find what he has to say pretty interesting. There's a reason why he's succeeding. Yeah, for sure. Exactly. So uh, without further ado, we'll jump right into the episode today. So I uh, hope, hope you guys enjoy this episode. Thanks for tuning in and we'll be right back. This is Conquering Columbus. Their conquerors, Jenny Brittenbauer of Jenny's Splendid Ice Creams. I'm truly never comfortable. When I'm comfortable, I'm bored. I just have to keep going. Only when you're a little bit scared are you in a place where you're about to learn something. We're explorers, and explorers are making discoveries because they are going places where people haven't before. Urban Meyer. There's one guarantee in this world, and that's hard work will be rewarded. And hard work, you have to embrace discomfort. I love how you said that. Live uncomfortably. Donato's Jane Abel. We have a umbrella idea of agape capitalism, which is about doing business and doing it with love and giving back to the community. And I believe in our products, but more importantly, I believe in our people. Pelotonia CEO, Doug Oldman. There's this genuine pride for things that were born and raised in Columbus. And that's awesome. At the same time, there's this beautiful Midwest humility. People don't necessarily care about who gets credit. Cameron Mitchell of Cameron Mitchell Restaurants. One of our goals is to be better today than we were yesterday and better tomorrow than we are today. And that goal stays is the same 24-7-365. This is Conquering Columbus. Hey there, Conquerors. Welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. I'm your co-host, Mike. We are here with Josh and Tim today. Hey guys, how you doing? Good, man. How are you? Pretty good, dude. Good. It's good to be back. I yeah, feel like, like we, we haven't been, been, uh, been together in a while, so it's uh, 
Great to be here and uh, great to be having a great guest on the show with us today. And that is uh, Mr. Rob Ouellette. And Rob is a partner at Ice Miller, and he focuses on his practice on complex corporate transactions, mergers, and acquisitions, particularly private equity investments and transactions, as well as a range of financing transactions. And Rob studied law as well as earned his undergraduate degree from the University of Michigan. So take it easy on him, everybody. But uh, prior to joining Ice Miller, Rob was a principal at Schottenstein, Zox, and Dunn. We're excited to have Rob on the show to learn more about his work and discuss everything he and his team have going on today at Ice Miller. Welcome to Conquering Columbus, Rob. Thank you. Appreciate you having me on the show. Yeah, appreciate you being here too. And uh, it's, it's disappointing that uh, we're not going to be watching the game here on Saturday. <laughs> when I first came to town, Michigan went like 9-0-1. They haven't since. So. <laughs> <laughs> and Mike, you you guys had to have talked beforehand. There's no way you got that last name right first try. Well, that, yeah, no, it's uh, I we I double checked on it just to make sure, but yeah. it is French, right? Yeah. French, yeah, French Canadian, French Canadian. Okay, but I knew that the O U E sound was a woo, so well, it's probably probably a good give twist. Me some credit. <laughs> I give no, I'm not going to give you any credit. It's probably a good twist into to our first question where we start just talking about you know background and and childhood and growing up. Where you, where you obviously didn't grow up here in Columbus, I'm assuming. So where are you from, and and what brought you here? Um, the job brought me to Columbus, but I um, you know grew up in Michigan. Uh, parents were teachers and uh, was looking for a job to stay in the Midwest and um, lied, came down to Columbus, said it was going to be a place I wanted to stay going forward. And that was totally made up. And then I came back after I graduated and stayed. So you chose Michigan for undergrad. Were there any other choices for you? Or did you know you wanted to go to law school as well at that time? Yeah, I, I thought law school was for um, <laughs> people that I didn't want to hang with. I just ended up getting there for some reason. Uh, it just kind of happened. Um you know, like as parents or teachers, I had no exposure to business or even the law at the time. So how does one just end up getting into law school? I mean, did you suddenly just find yourself, hey, I graduated and this is just the direction that it took you? Or, you know, do you do you actually like was there something that struck the idea in your mind of like, OK, I'm going to go to law school? Well, you know, I, I didn't have any money and I wanted to own a business. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, you know, law is one way you can own a business without having any cash to start it. Right. right. So we're sitting around really at the apartment one day, deciding what we're going to do after we graduated. And uh, one person said they're going to take the LSAT. And I said, well, I'll take it. So I went in there and took it and I've uh, got a decent score. And said, well, maybe I'll follow this path for a while until I see what happens. So sitting down and wanting to open business, <clears throat> what do you think it was about you that, that motivated you to do that? Were you always just driven to do your own thing or was it uh, a monetary motivation? A little bit of both. Um, I don't like following rules. So of course I take a profession that's into following rules, right? Mm-hmm. I, I can't reconcile that, but you know, it's, it's a, it was a challenging type of uh, career, and I didn't want to go to a, I want to go to a really good law school. And Michigan, I got in there and said, well, you know, I can do worse, so let's try this for a while and see what happens. Our sponsor is Waveform Music Group. Andy and Carlin have been working with us to take the production of Conquering Columbus to the next level, and Josh and I could not be happier with the results. Outside of podcast production, Andy and Carlin are experts in songwriting, music production, and sonic branding for companies of all sizes. And to learn more about them, head to their website, createwaveforms.com. That is createwaveforms.com, and tell them Conquering Columbus sent you. So you wrap up law school, and then what does your path look like from there? Did you you want to go straight into starting your own thing, or did you think, hey, maybe I spent some time under somebody else and learn the ropes? Yeah. Well, again, I didn't want to stay in Columbus, right? I wanted to go to the West Coast. So I did a little bit of that too. And I, um, this was around 1990 and the economy was shutting down that time. I thought, well, I need some place where I can go pay off my loans. You know, I have a ton of debt and this place seems stable and, and safe. And that, that, that's the reason why I came down. 
And so where at Columbus, uh, the first is Schottenstein's Oxen Miller, the first place you work at in Columbus? Yeah, I actually worked here as a as a as a law student. Sorry, Schottenstein's Docs and Don. I said right. Miller and Don. <laughs> it's kind of blended together now, but yeah. So I I was a law student, uh, worked here for the firm, then came back after I graduated. I've had the same phone number since I was twenty three years old. It's the same extension. And and were there any surprises about Columbus when you got here? Like, is that you know you show up and I'm guessing you know was that your first time in the city at all? Yeah, I had, I lied. I'd said I was here all the time. It was my first time. I'd never right. been here before. So any any major surprises when you first got here? Yeah, so I played hockey growing up a little bit. And um, in Michigan, there's hockey arenas on every street corner, essentially. I moved down to Columbus, and there was zero. There was nothing. There was one sheet of ice on campus, and it was terrible. And I called my friends, and I said, there's no, there's no hockey. There's no ice. And they're like, yeah, be kidding me. It's only a couple hours south of Ann Arbor. I said, it's a whole different world, guys. There's no hockey down here. That changed <laughs> shortly afterwards. So did you wrap a lot of your identity and in, in growing up and playing hockey? And when you moved here, was that something that you then transitioned and pivoted into your professional career or not at all? More logistics. Half the stuff that fit in my car when I moved down here was hockey gear. <laughs> and I could have saved a lot of time if I just left it behind because there was no place to use it down here. But, you know, I, I was a recreational hockey player. I'm, believe me, I'm terrible. I'm not any good at it. But I like playing the game. That's changed a lot since being here. What, what year was it that you came down? 91. Gotcha. Yeah. Obviously since adding the blue jackets, it's become a little um, more popular. Yeah. Pretty big hockey town. Are you still, are you still in hockey? Do you follow it all? Yeah. I, I think I'm the reason why the blue jackets came to town. I came ah. to town, there's no hockey. And then a year later, the chill showed up. And then a few mm-hmm. years later, the arena's built. So I, I think I was the tipping point on that. Well, thank you for that. Yeah. <laughs> we appreciate it. Yeah. yeah. I've been, I've been to a lot of blue jackets <laughs> games. So, you know, I, next time I go, I'll remember. Hey, yeah. Thank Rob. We're here. What, what year was the arena built? Was that like 94, 95? Nationwide went in for the uh, Blue Jackets, but they were playing up at, what was it, at Easton? Is that where that the no. first league was? No, the Chill played on the fairgrounds, I think. The Blue Jackets played at the arena, but it was like 1999 or 2000. Yeah, that. the inaugural season was 2000. Yeah. I think they started, they broke ground in 99. I'm pretty sure. I could probably fact check on this computer, <laughs> but I'm just going to guess. Well, we're a little sidetracked here. So I guess something that we haven't talked much about, it's Schottenstein, Zox, and Dunn. What type of law were you focusing on there? Is it similar to what you're doing now, or was it a different type of practice? Exact same thing. Same clients. It was mergers and acquisitions. Mm-hmm. Um, we were a Columbus-based firm with 100 and maybe 20-some lawyers in it. And then, you know, consolidation hit our industry like it hits everybody's industry. Mm-hmm. And we had to decide whether or not we're going to go it alone or uh, join with a, you know, a firm with a broader geographical footprint. And uh, it's worked out well. And then that's when Ice Miller came into play, right? So you guys made a decision, hey, we're going to merge with Ice Miller because of that, because of what you just said? Yeah, so the choice for me was they want to be part of a growth plan. Was was SCD going to leave Columbus and go to other markets or join somebody that already had done that? And mm-hmm. the way law firms grow is it takes a lot of money. And mm-hmm. I kind of prefer to use somebody else's money to do that. And, and Ice Miller has offices from Chicago, Indy, Columbus, New York, uh, D.C., kind of the, you know, the the upper Midwest East stuff. And I, that, that's like, that's a good place for us to be. Can you talk about that dynamic? Um, if you're comfortable with it in terms of why does it, why does it take so much money to grow into new markets like that? And why was it easier to just join with Ice Miller? I mean, obviously they're already in those markets, but from a financial standpoint, you would think that just growing a legal team wouldn't, wouldn't be that difficult. Right. So good law firms are really means good clients, right? So you have to go to a new market. You have to see what lawyers represent the good companies that takes time and money. And you, then you have to hire the right lawyers. And any decent lawyer and decent firm, they're not going to leave. I mean, they're they're thought of highly. They're well compensated. They like their team. So that's going to be a long-term process. And I'd rather just have somebody else do that hard work. 
We're going to take a quick break here to thank one of our sponsors, the Burlett Family Foundation. The Burlett Family Foundation is committed to serving as a trusted partner and resource to organizations striving to improve our community here in Columbus. All right, let's get back to the episode. So there's something that I don't know about law, which is do lawyers- a lot. The answer answer would be like all of it, but specifically about (laughs) business strategy within law, which is- do are there like salespeople calling around like trying to get more business for for lawyers or do all lawyers have to sell themselves? Is it mostly referral based? Like I'm guessing the reason you need to go get the best lawyers in an area is because those are the ones that are getting all the business. Our law firm is we represent big companies, right, mm-hmm. and um, and growing companies. So we're not going to advertise. We're not we're not going to um, we don't get business by marketing really. It's it's individual relationships. It's it's. Uh, credibility, it's integrity, that kind of stuff. This stuff takes a long time to establish. So that's kind of the focus of it. And um, it's, in many respects, it's the way you want business to be done. It's by ethical people representing ethical companies. It's, that's a great business model. It's just, it's hard to grow that fast. So diving into M&A and complex transactions that you're focused on, when you first got into M&A, maybe let's start back there. What were the biggest hurdles that you had overcome? Did you have a deep knowledge of finance on the back end? Did you even need that? And what does the legal aspect come into play when you're looking at a merger and acquisition? So it helps if you have a little bit of accounting background, a little bit of finance background, a little bit of common sense. That all sort of makes a difference. Because what you're really doing is you're trying to help a, a company buy or sell another business. And you have to be kind of a master of all the trades. And that doesn't mean you have to have all the answers, but you need to know all the questions. And that takes just you know curiosity, business sense. But um, really anybody with a work ethic can pick it up if they're if they're committed. When we go re- when I go recruiting for for young lawyers, I'm looking for folks that are former athletes, former musicians, dancers. Th- these are people who understand teamwork and practice and repetition and the commitment. And those people usually do really well. Did you have any setbacks early in your career when you're trying to learn it because you, you didn't have that knowledge of the finance and the accounting right in the beginning? Yeah, so the the way the law firms are put together, you know, you you don't put young lawyers in positions where they're going to fail too badly. You kind of put them in positions where they have to learn, but there's safety nets everywhere. So the more skills you have, the more upside you have, the faster you will be trained, right? But it's kind of like how medical students go through the residencies. You know, you it takes 10,000 hours, Malcolm Gladwell says, to become good at anything, and it's one day at a time, right? So the Medical students are going through the residencies, they're working these crazy hours, but they're becoming really good doctors. Same thing with the young lawyers. With your current clients, right? Like I'm guessing with mergers and acquisitions come their own unique set of challenges. And across your clients, is there anything that comes up a lot? Is it is it mostly the valuations that becomes a, a talking point? Like with from a legal perspective, what are the biggest sticky wickets, I guess? Why, why are the biggest reasons that deals fall apart? Right. So- You'd be surprised maybe, but the biggest reason deals fall apart is not because of money. Mm-hmm. Um, money's motivating all these transactions without a doubt. But the biggest issue we have always is the human side of it. We have to, if there's people going to lose their jobs, executives get worried about that. They get tied up in knots. And we've had deals crater where the selling company says, I can't do that to my executive team, or I can't do that to the guys in the factory. I'm just going to take the company off the market. It's the you think it's all about law and the money, which look it is, but at the end of the day, it's the human side that drives this stuff. I would assume if you're at that point, you're probably economically stable and you would assume that maybe money isn't the motivator so much 
in your life, I guess. Do you find that in the executives that you're working with? Is it kind of, is, is there other motivations outside of that by the time you get to that point? Well, they're, they're compensated across the board by growing their business. And you have to grow it organically, meaning sell more product or acquire somebody else and take those sales to your bottom line. So mm-hmm. they're, they're certainly motivated to grow. And that's kind of the capital society, I suppose. But in terms of roadblocks and what are the most um, you know, frustrating part of my, the biggest obstacles in my job would be the human side. Right. Right. I mean, I'd imagine like there's also, you know, either taking the company off the market or like right now there's got to be a lot of money on the sidelines, people doing a lot of business where I would guess it's a seller's market at the moment. Well, maybe not because there's probably a lot of businesses struggling due to COVID. But side point is like, hey, I don't want my executive team cleared out. I don't want to let anybody go. I'm going to go find a company that's going to sell or buy my company and, and preserve all those people. That might be a good talk point too. And maybe something that, you know, I know you're not focused on the finance side. So if you don't feel uh, comfortable answering this either, we can can get rid of it. But the public markets are obviously exploding, have been continuously and continue to go up even through a pandemic. So you watch a bunch of acquisitions happen in this place with all all the share prices being valued so high. What's happening in the private markets? I mean, that's probably mainly where you're focused, right? So are you also seeing an uptick in acquisitions or no? Yeah, the merger level right now in the private markets is astronomically high. And this year has been unbelievable. I mean, the year started extremely busy, lots of transactions, COVID hits, and it goes to zero. I mean, zero from March, April, May, and June, and then it picks up again. And I think that's really a tribute to the economy, generally speaking, how resilient it is. Um, and that stuff's all back now, and it's, it, it's, it's really busy right now. Well, and do you guys see like a UCLA, there's a UCLA study that projected that after like COVID is the vaccines out and everything's are getting back to normal, that there's going to be, they project that there's just basically going to be a bunch of pent up demand and we're going to grow at like 3% quarterly or something crazy like that for like the first like six months. But they're projecting highly increased growth after the vaccine is all out and all this pent up demand gets released. So I'd imagine more activity and mergers acquisitions and everything else going forward. We're projecting next year will be our best year ever. Mm-hmm. So when you look at that, is it, do you think it's because of the debt financing situation, like low interest rates? Is that what you think is driving so much of this? So good point. The difference between this, the effect of the pandemic on the economy versus how it was in 08, there's one huge difference. And that is the banks are extraordinarily healthy and you can give credit to whoever deserves it, but I think a lot of people do, but the banks are really healthy. And when we have healthy banks, you can survive anything. 2008, we almost lost the banking system. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> right. They are very healthy. They're overcapitalized. They're well-run. And um, yeah, I don't know how we got there, but we did. They're really good banks. And so what happens is now banks have financial covenants with all their borrowers that have to perform to certain levels. And with the response in the last six months to COVID, the economic spot, the economic growth that's taking place, that's making debt more available to, to companies rather than less. That's totally different than it was in 2008. Do you guys see more arbitrage between, and I don't want to use this terminology, but it's the only thing I can think of in my head, the winners and the losers. You know, I mean, like, so they talk about so much how much COVID has affected people astronomically different, whether it's on the private level from, you know, uh, the top 10% versus the below or the top 1%. And in the business side, I mean, you see so many different industries just just plummeting while some people at the top are, are continuing to succeed. Are you guys seeing that in the acquisition space where these people who, who the business that were more prone and set up to to take something like this are just acquiring the ones that fell under or is it not, not the case? So it's industry by industry, right? So for example, the restaurant industry, that's a tough one. Um, I don't know if there's anybody doing any acquisitions in the restaurant space right now. 
but there are other industries which have done really well, right? So then the question is on those deals, you know, that target company might have really great revenues this year, but the question is, is only because it's this year only. So that that's the that's the challenge with the the high flying industries is can it last? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so valuing a company in this climate's got to be fairly be, difficult. Sure, like trying to put a valuation on a cleaning supplies company right now would probably be pretty difficult. There'll be a COVID discount for sure mm-hmm. applied to that business. Right, because like, hey, realistically, you're not going to be selling this much cleaning fluid in two years. So what about personally in terms of your favorite industries to focus on or, or maybe... I'm sure you can't talk about it in detail, but maybe your your favorite transactions as you look back. Is there anything that really gets you excited or that that you sticks out the most in your career? It's the clients represent that drives me more than the industry. I only represent good people, kind of thing, and then you get invested in their futures and what they're doing, and it's it's a it's a symbiotic thing that's really cool. Um, if there's a business in town that's exciting and growing, I'd like to talk to the owners. Um, it does. I don't really have a preference of what industry that could, that would be. Hey, everybody. We're going to take a quick break here to talk about one of our sponsors, One Columbus. You know, it really couldn't be cooler to have a sponsor and a partner like One Columbus. They are directly in alignment with everything we stand for and everything we're looking to promote here at Conquering Columbus. I mean, they just want to bring the most competitive companies to the area and make everything about the city and the region just one of the greatest places to live in the United States and in the world for that matter. Yeah, they're like the ultimate Columbus hype man. They're trying to bring new businesses here, show them what our strengths are, but also address some of the weaknesses and say, like, this is how we could get better. So for us, we're excited to help promote their goal and help tell the story with them on board. Absolutely. And if you guys want to learn more about One Columbus, check them out at columbusregion.com. That's columbusregion.com. So what about moving forward at Ice Miller? Like, what is what are some of your goals here for the next, you know, long-term three to five years or maybe even in the next year or two? Really just adding... The extra kick I get these days is, you know, you're you're building a practice, but you're building it for whom, right? And, you know, I probably have, let's say there's 20 people working for me. Well, I, I go to work every day worrying about 20 mortgages to pay and 45, 29 plans to fund, you know, and that, and this year, let's, let's add five more next year kind of thing. Because it, it's, it's relatively speaking easier for me to bring business in than the person who's 20 years younger than I am. And, and I get a kick out of that. That's fun. What's your take and outlook on Central Ohio as a place to do business? It's one of the best places in the country to do business. Uh, there's lots of reasons for that. Um, one of which is the business community here is is unbelievably welcoming to young professionals and entrepreneurs. Um, there's an open door in anybody's office. If you want to come in and talk about your business, people people will, will speak with you and spend time with you. And there's really a, a, a view across the board that every time there's a success story in Columbus, we all benefit from it. And that does not happen very often, I can tell you that. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, how, like, how does that set us apart? Is there other things that set us apart from other areas of the country? I mean, you've, have you had a lot of experience with outside other cities, other other markets? Yeah. yeah. Let me just give you a, a, just a personal example. I have, I, have a, I have two boys. One's a pretty good high school basketball player. And three years ago, right before Christmas, he gets hurt, knee injury, Thursday night. So I'm trying to think through, man, how am I going to get this kid in to see a doctor? And he needs this and he needs that. Well, that happened at night on a Thursday. I get calls that night and the next day from various doctors in town. Hey, I heard Chase went down last night. Do you want to get him in right now? We'll find we'll find spaces for him. I don't I don't know all these people know, but the community knows. They try to take care of you, and uh, you know they'll I'll, I'll remember that forever. That these people are reaching out trying to get that kid in to see him yeah. looked at because you know the way the the calendar fell it might be two weeks after that before he gets in to see a doctor. Yeah, and you see stuff like that a lot with Columbus, right? Like. Everyone is, again, I mean, our podcast is an example of this. Everyone's always willing to sit down and chat. Everyone wants to come 
and talk and share ideas. And I think, you know, all, all boats rise with that tide, but uh, what, are there any areas you've seen, you know, in your time here in Columbus? I mean, you've been here since, what was it? 90, 91. 91. So what could we improve on? What do you, what have you seen that is holding us back as a city? You know, so I do m and right? The biggest thing holding, uh, something I'd like to see us change a little bit is the access to capital. A lot of, there's a lot of companies here that go looking for capital, you know, money to grow on. And, mm-hmm. it, and it's still a hard conversation. It's kind of a still a little bit unsophisticated capital markets town. Um, it's a great commercial banking town. The banks are wonderful. They're very helpful to the, their customers. But to, to get that seed capital, to get stuff off the ground, we, we could do better on that. Do you think, or do you have any personal uh, opinions around ways to to get the ball rolling there, or how Columbus could take that initiative to start bringing? Is it just the the idea of having more large exits, such as like Cover My Meds, or what just happened with Oliver Root? Is that what's going to bring mm-hmm. it in? Those stories are wonderful, and they help bring attention to it. But for every one of those, there's a hundred other ones that are almost as good that don't get bro- spoken about. Maybe this is the way. To, this is the the tool to do it. But there's a lot of really good stories out there. People taking companies from nothing and employing two, three, four or 500 people and, and really growing them. Yeah. And it's, I think with central, like central Ohio and the Midwest in general, right. When we look at the, like, I think there's a lot less, a lot less hype around companies. Like when you look at like San Francisco, right. Like a lot of companies get a ton of hype, but I think we actually get stuff done in the Midwest. I think that's a big differentiator because we're, you know, when you look at companies here, like it's, it's a grind, but a lot of our companies are doing some pretty incredible things and we're having to push against the grain to get there. So I think it makes our companies better because of that. It's not as glamorous. That's right. for sure. I was thinking about that in the shower this morning, actually. Um, like part of me, I was complaining about the cold. Mm-hmm. Um, it was kind of nice today. I think part of me likes the adversity or like needs it. Right. So if you have that like adverse condition or like mm-hmm. the chip on your shoulder, I think the Midwest, we might like force it a little bit sometimes. Right. Cause I could, you could move to a warmer climate, you know, yeah. like right now, especially right now, like everyone's working remotely. Like mm-hmm. if I wanted to go back to San Diego, live there, I probably could. But, but I think, I think that little bit of adversity or chip on your shoulder or, you know, less glamour, it contributes to some of the success or the drive, you know, somebody tell me I can't and I will. I think, mm-hmm. I think the Midwest has that a little bit more, <laughs> more so than, uh, you know, somewhere in the big yeah. city or somewhere on a coast or something like that. It's like a, well, random analogy, but it's like, I always had this theory that people who root for terrible sports teams, just when they get better, they appreciate it more. Right. And it's like, man, we've been, it's been hard for so long, but when you get there, it, you appreciate the success more. Whereas I yeah, think- Yeah, that's very, it's easy to be yeah. a Patriots fan, a bandwagon fan. Right. You have the bills for 20 years as they don't make the playoffs. <laughs> and if they win again, you know, that's, I feel like there's like a little bit more joy in that. Now everybody wants to win all the time though, mm-hmm. you know? Right. It's an interesting dynamic though. I mean, you hear some people that are more outspoken in the VC space and they talk about how you have to have more revenue to raise raise rounds at similar mm-hmm. funds that what you did if you were in San Francisco or similar areas. But when you think about it, and this is just me speaking from an ignorant standpoint, I don't study this stuff or anything, but just access to talent here. So like Tim and I work at an AI company here in town that's focused on autonomous welding. And it, it, it has been a challenge to get, you know, people to Columbus. So I mean, people are really excited about what we're doing in the mission. So that's helped a lot. But it's not like, I mean, you're fighting with Google and people that are in, not only are they paying astronomical amounts of money, but in the most beautiful areas of the world. So if you're in a San Francisco where all that talent is, I would assume that people will take a larger risk on you from a financial standpoint and say, I'll shove $50 million in this company. They have enough talent around them mm-hmm. to where I feel more more inclined to, them be, to be successful. Do you see a similar thing from, from your vantage point? So 
It's interesting you said that because it seems like in Columbus, when people talk about raising capital, they immediately go to say VC stuff, you know, unproven ideas or very young businesses, which are really just ideas kind of thing. But mm-hmm. there's other ways to bring in capital. And the, I'm sort of focused on the business with 10 or 15 employees that's successful, but needs some an accelerant. And they don't need the $50, billion, $50 million of equity. They just need like five or 10, and they could double the size of the business. That, that's that's the part of the market we, we could do better at. Um, those are people taking risks and employing people and taking care, you know, paying taxes and taking care of everything they need. They need. I think we could do better with those folks. So this is almost like the mom and pop financing, the, the gap in the market that you feel like exists. Right. I mean, there's certain size companies the banks can't finance because they're just too small, mm-hmm. but yet they're successful. They're successful businesses. And those are going to be the ones that are going to grow. You know, there's going to be the Carmine Meds, which is, you know, great. You know, it's a unicorn company. It's super. But... You know, there's, like I said, there's a hundred of them just like it that employ, if you put them together, way more people. And those are the ones I think I'd like to see the more attention paid to them. Hey, everybody. We're going to take a quick break here to talk about one of our sponsors, Hybeck. It's actually just me and Tim in the booth because, well, Josh is on his way over to the restaurant right now. So, unluckily for us, we don't get any special treatment. I don't think he's bringing us back a pizza I don't or anything. think so. I'm a little jealous. We love Hybeck. I mean, I go there all the yep. time. Their hot honey pizza they got going right now. Yep. That's man, what I was going to say. As soon uh, as we had him on the episode, I called in before they even left and ordered it and picked it up on the way out. And it was the best. We're talking about the restaurant, but Hybeck's a lot more than just a restaurant. They distill whiskey and gin and vodka. They've got all kinds of cool stuff. I mean, they brought in a couple of different options for us to try recently. And I really liked this Midnight Cask. It's a mixture, I think, of whiskey along with a port wine. And it kind of tastes like a Manhattan, but it's like double the strength. If you haven't listened to the episode yet, listen to the episode. I mean, the story behind the organization is great too. So yeah, it's a bunch of local entrepreneurs that just have a passion for making good food and great drinks. They just launched a thing called the Whiskey Society too, which I joined. And if you really like booze, it's worth checking out. It pays for itself just in the entry fee. And then you'll get cards for drinks every month. They put on events right now. They're on Zoom, but teach you how to make drinks, tell you what to use, why you use those things. It's definitely for the whiskey enthusiast. I've enjoyed my membership so far. That's for sure. So if you guys like High Bank, if you're looking for a restaurant, somewhere to watch the game. If you're looking to put in an order for a pickup, check out High Bank, man. Their food's great. They're great people. Yeah. And we love their drinks. And get the hot honey pizza. Get the hot honey pizza. I All promise right. you will love it. All right. Now back to the show. What about any other advice for our listeners across the city? And you can think young professionals, aspiring entrepreneurs, some business owners, all majority located right here in Central Ohio. This is a comment you guys made earlier than that. But when I came to town, people referred to Columbus as either Cow Town or Columbus, Ohio. And that just drove me insane. You know, if you, if you just Google towns in the U.S. named Columbus, Columbus, Ohio is the biggest one by like a factor of 100. You know, we're just the biggest town in, in, the, in the country. Well, mm-hmm. I think we need to act like it. It's a big It's a big town. I mean, we're like a top, we're like what, top 15? 14th. City size? Yeah. yeah. One of the fastest growing, but we are 14th by population currently. Uh, yeah. It'll be interesting to see what things look like in like 30 years. What's Columbus going to look like? I bet you we're projected a lot to, different than it is today. Yeah, we're projected to double in total population by 2050. Will we have flying cars by then? Uh, no, and we will not even have public transportation. Well, <laughs> which we, is my we biggest also will battle. not go down this rabbit hole of the conversation. <laughs> it is interesting, though, that I've heard. So finishing up grad school and then having a lot of my classmates call me from Chicago, New York City, and say, hey, uh, I'm looking for a city. I have just had a kid. I want to find a place that mm-hmm. has a good potential for my professional career, but also where I have enough space and I can afford to raise a family. And they wanted to come back to Columbus and said, what is Columbus like? What is the startup scene like? What is just the professional environment in general? So that was before COVID. So I can only imagine how much that that's increased. 
uh, since that and what it'll continue to do moving forward. Because I don't, I don't think we're gonna get out of this for at least another, you know, twelve to twenty-four months. So, so look at the uh, the cities in the country that are similar or bigger than Columbus, right? Um, a lot of them have geographical limitations. Detroit can't go east. There's a lake there. You know, Chicago can't go east. There's a lake there. They can't go south. There's too many people there. Columbus can grow for fifty miles in every direction. We got hundred million people here before we run into any kind of obstacle, you know, and San Francisco, New York have, you know, tax problems beyond, and those people are leaving those cities right now, right? Mm-hmm. And they may not come back. <laughs> Once you leave yeah. San Francisco and go to Texas, you're not, I mean, you know, Tesla just moved, right? They're, yeah. they're leaving these states, right? And I, I think Columbus has a lot to offer. This town is full of people who were moved here by their employer for a couple of year time period and then said, we're staying. Do you read um, Ernest Klein by any chance? Or have you seen, yep. so in his projections, he wrote the book in 2011, but Columbus becomes the biggest city due to a, like a gaming company basically. But he's from, he's from Ohio, but he's right. saying, you know, in his future books, Columbus becomes the hub because of all those reasons. It can grow, it can stack the, co- the cost of living and then all tech moves here. So it's kind of interesting to see nine years later. I mean, it hasn't happened yet, but that we're in that direction. So that's mm-hmm. kind of uh, interesting. It's also the central location, you know. Yeah, they and say like we're within where we can like yeah we're within a like day's drive a of, day's drive of like all the eastern seaboard and you know everything else. So it like we're just in a good spot, and that's why I mean I stayed here after college. I came from San Diego, and I said you know what I want to. Are stay you from San Diego? I don't know if you've. Uh, we, I haven't talked about that on the podcast <laughs> before. I know. I had to get it. Rob, Rob does know, but yes, I have many he finds times. A way to bring it up once an episode, <laughs> right? I try, and it's now it's almost a running joke. But he has to bring it up. Right, I'm going to have to bring it from now on. But uh, Rob, I love how, I love how humble you are about it. You're like, well, if Columbus caught me, I mean, who wouldn't want to be here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I couldn't. I couldn't even leave. Well, you know, you got to have confidence in yourself. Um, but uh, Rob, I think good place to kind of pivot towards first our, to our, close it up. Oh. We broke ground May 26th of 98 and it opened September 9th of 20 or of 2000. We're all the way back in this. Yeah. Is. <laughs> I wanted to make sure people that were waiting. Nationwide Arena? Yeah, they were sitting on the edge of the seat <laughs> waiting to find out when it opened. We got we went all the way back around. But um, Rob, with a uh, little bit of time left here, I want to ask you our last question of the show. It's centered around the theme here on Conquering Columbus, and that is live uncomfortably. I'm telling you too much about why we chose that particular phrase. What do you think of when you hear it? How does it apply to your life and career? Don't get complaints that don't take things for granted. Um, that's what it means to me when you say that phrase and how I've applied it, try to apply it to myself is, you know, try to do the little things that matter. When I coach baseball and there's a kid that needs a mitt, you know, go give him a mitt kind mm-hmm. of thing or, or, or the person working right now, the carryout person at the, at the grocery, at the, at the restaurant. I mean, they're, they're getting clobbered right now. Right. So, you know, if you can afford the extra $5, give it to them. You know, it's, it's do the extra, do the, take an extra second and think what you can do to help somebody else out. Love it. Love it. And uh, Rob, thanks so much for joining us today. It's been great talking to you. Appreciate you coming on the show to tell your story and talk to us about Columbus. Thanks for the invitation, guys. Good to see you. And uh, Congress, thanks so much for tuning in. Hope you guys enjoyed that episode. If you did, hit that subscribe button so you can get more of these episodes. Appreciate everybody tuning in. We'll talk to you next week. Peace.